0: There's no right way of doing that, you know, for the Maybe we're hearing the cool change coming through Hopefully we'll feel it soon Good morning again uh, Good to be sharing God's word with you this morning I want to welcome our visitors and guests and I hope you are blessed by the message today If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6 again As we continue our look at the Lord's Prayer this morning And we'll be reading this morning from verse 9 to verse 15. Read along with me. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power and the glory, forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you that you've preserved it for us and we can trust every part and every word in it. We just pray that you'd be speaking to our hearts this morning and that that we would be fully um, ready to receive it, that our ears would be open, our hearts would be open to this truth and the Spirit of God be working, Lord, to share this message with us. Plant this truth within our hearts, Lord, that it might bear fruit for your glory. Thank you once again for all good things. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A fellow called Gen- uh, General Oglethorpe once said to John Wesley, I never forgive and I never forget. To which Wesley replied, then, sir, I hope you never sin. Now, Wesley said that for a reason. And it was probably in reference to this particular passage. Because Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 says, If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forget not, forgive, forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So if we aren't willing to forgive people who sin against us and do wrong to us, how can we logically expect God to forgive us? Today we'll be examining just one verse, verse 12, and we'll make reference to verse 14 and 15 because out of the Lord's prayer, the Lord chose to focus on that particular thing with those extra two verses. So we'll be looking at that today. Now, as we look at this uh, this prayer this morning, I want to remind you that this prayer, once again, is a corporate prayer. So when we pray, we should always keep in mind that we shouldn't be praying just for ourselves. I'm not the centre of the universe. In fact, I'm connected in some way to each and every one of you. What you do affects me and what I do affects you. I am joined with you in more than one way. We are joined also to the people of this world by the things that we say, the things that we do. We are connected to them and the very fact that we're actually um, uh, descended all from Adam and Eve. But we're connected with a special bond to each other because we've been adopted into God's family. So we, are, we belong to two families in a sense. And when we pray, the, Bible, the Lord is teaching us here that we should always keep in mind that, that it, we aren't just alone, just me and God. Because everything I do affects everyone else. To give us our debts is a call to forgive, not just my debt, but understanding that my debt, my sin is along and accumulated with other people's sins as well this verse begins once again with a need just as in verse 11 the prayer is give us give give is a, is a, is basically an acknowledgement that i need And there's only one place I can go and rely upon for my need, and that's God. This one, once again, says, I have a need, and only God, you can fill it, and please forgive. The first one in verse 11 was a physical need and required physical provision. This verse acknowledges another need, and it's a need that we have due to the fact that we have, each and every one of us, a debt with God. A debt. Many people have mortgages on their homes, and I dare say that most of us here have some sort of a debt, whether it's a credit card, whether it's a home, whether it's a car, or along those lines. Our society is full of debt. In fact, our governments are full of debt as well. We won't go into that. But if you have a mortgage over your home... In order for you to pay off that debt, little by little, week after week, you need to be able to work to earn money. And with that money, you can then pay off that debt. But what do you do in an economy where the debt you accumulate with God, you can't pay off? Because the sins that we commit against God, the things where we fail him, the things where we offend him, and we do it willingly and unwittingly, I have nothing to produce in order to pay for that thing. Because the Bible teaches us that everything that we think is good about ourselves, all the good that we do, all the things we give away, all the wonderful attributes that I have as a person, the Bible says that when I present those before God, the Bible calls those things about as valuable as filthy rags. Now, how long would it take you to pay off your home if you went to the bank with a a bucket load of filthy rags every week? Well, that's what we have to offer God. Because you know, everything we do that we think is good is tainted with our motives, our flesh, the sin in our lives. And when we think we've done something good, when we compare it to God's perfect love, forgiveness, grace, it never matches up. So when we think we can offer something to God, it's worth absolutely nothing. So what do you do in an economy where you continue to accumulate debt and your debt gets bigger and bigger because we offend God each and every day? What do I do with that debt that's accumulated? Well, the Bible says that I can come to God and ask for forgiveness. And as we saw this morning, the reason we can do that is because the debt was paid at Calvary. The work was done, the perfect work. Sorry was done at Calvary by Christ. And when he shed his blood, the Bible says that that blood was payment for my sin. So when I come to God and I believe that in that shed blood, I can come to him and say, Lord, I need forgiveness. And I, base, I ask that. I expect forgiveness based on what Christ has done on the cross for me. And I can have confidence in that. Because you know something? Even though what I have to pay God is worth nothing, I know that what Christ paid is everything. The answer is, we can't pay off our own debt. Not before we were saved, and not after. We always must rely on the blood of Christ for that payment. But the Bible teaches us that, that debt is wiped out by someone else, by God himself, not by us. And what is that debt? That debt is every time we've sinned against his will, every time we've allowed our flesh to to lead us rather than his spirit, every time we refuse to obey his commandments, every time we disregard his laws, every time we don't put him first in our decisions, every time we think of ourselves before we think of him, every time we put ourselves in a position over other people. And the list can go on and on and on and on. Sin comes naturally to us. It does. It does. Because the Bible says that we are fallen creatures. We are fallen beings. And we struggle with this thing called the flesh. The Bible says the flesh can't be corrupt. It can't be redeemed. It can't be fixed. So God has to plant a new nature in us in order for us to begin pleasing him through that new nature. But the old nature is always going to kick and struggle and, and, uh, and cause a problem for us until the day that we're redeemed. Sin comes naturally to us. And so does denial. And so do the excuses. I'll guarantee you, for every sin that we commit, every time we fail God, the natural tendency that we have is to give an excuse for it. Every time we've told a white lie, what we think is a white lie, because there are no white and grey or black lies in the Bible, they're all lies. Every time we lie, whether it's to our families, to our friends, or whoever it is, I'll guarantee you, in your mind, the first thing to do is you're going to try and come up with an excuse for it. And you're going to say, I had to do that. I had to say it. And the same thing with everything else that we do wrong in our lives. The natural tendency that we have is to excuse it. And the Bible teaches that when you excuse it once, twice, three times, four times, it then becomes a habit. It then becomes habitual. And if it becomes habitual, it's very hard to get rid of later on. God has to do a work to actually take that away from us. We are naturally prone to give excuses for the things we do wrong. We're naturally prone to find the problems in other people and the sins and faults in other people than than we do in ourselves. Tell me, who doesn't think they're a good person here? How many problems have we found with other people? I'm sure we found plenty of them. How many problems do we find with ourselves? It's natural for us to see ourselves higher, more holy, more perfect than we actually are. But in fact, when God looks down on us in his perfect vision rather than our corrupted vision, he sees us exactly as we are. And all the excuses and all the, and all the things that we come up with and all the, the, the dreams and stories that we, that we like to give ourselves to try to convince ourselves that we're okay... God sees all through that. He sees the sin, the hurt, the guilt, the shame. He sees all of that. That's why you have to send a saviour to this world. But the good point, all right, turn with me to 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. It says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. That's with him. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sins. Remember what I told you? It's the blood of Christ that cleanses from sin. Nothing else. No water. No, nothing else that we do cleanses us from that sin other than that blood. And verse 8 says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, past tense, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So get that. So verse 8 says, if we say we have no sin, present. And then verse 10 says, if we say we have not sinned. So what that tells me is that in my past, it's guaranteed I've sinned. In my present and in my continual life, guaranteed, I've got something there. Whether I see it or not, there is something there that I'm seeing against God. That's why Paul had to pray, search my heart to God. And reveal to me if there's any wickedness in me. Because oftentimes we're blinded to our own wickedness. So... The fact, the matter that the Bible teaches us, which is a fact, is that everyone in this world is a sinner. By nature, we sin. It comes most naturally to us. Okay? And the simple fact is that we fail God on a daily basis. Now, while this is an excuse to continue sinning, and I never give people an excuse to sin, because if you know something is wrong, you shouldn't do it. If you're a Christian today... If you've put your faith in Christ, the Bible says God's put a new nature in you, which you need to allow to grow. And that nature can overcome the old nature. So, as a Christian, you have no excuse to sin. But unfortunately, you will. We should always be sensitive to sin. And in fact, as we mature with our walk, we should be more and more and more sensitive to the sin in our lives because God is working with us he's dealing with us God is chipping away Michelangelo was a good sculptor and if he'd get a piece of rock in front of him he could imagine in his mind the actual image that that he'd actually the statue that would come out of that block of rock so he'd work away at that rock until finally the image came out until the, the statue came out and God's a bit like that with us he's chipping away if you put your, your life into God's hands, he's, he's continually chipping away at you to get you to the image that he wants you to be, to get you to where he wants you to be, which is, the Bible says, the image of his son. He wants us to be more and more like him every day. Now, sometimes it's not nice to be chipped away at. There are some parts of us that we just don't want, we don't want taken away. We'd rather hold on to them. But God is in the process of making us holy. And this is what he wants us to do for our sake as well as his. We should understand, though, that the holiness of God is so far above us. His perfection, his beauty, his grace, his love, everything that we ascribe to him is so far beyond our understanding that we only get a small glimpse of it, that we should never imagine and liken ourselves to him. He is so far above us that even our best day... You know you have your good days and your bad days? Do you guys have good days and bad days? Because I do sometimes. I mean, it's it's inevitable. Your best day, your very best day that you can ever have for God, where you wake up in the morning and you say your prayers and you devote the day to God, to the time you get back to bed, right, is never so good. Is never that perfect that you and I are beyond the need of God's grace. Even our best days, we need his grace to get us through. But on the flip side, your worst days, your very worst days, are never that bad that you are beyond the reach of his grace. Remember that. So point one, never think that when you and I approach the throne of God, that we have nothing to confess. Because I will guarantee you, every time I come before God's throne, I'm sure I've done something wrong. I'm sure of it. Guaranteed. So that's why the Lord includes this as part of the prayer. Forgive us our debts. The next point of this prayer is that when I come to God asking for forgiveness for sin, I must come believing that he's willing to forgive my sin. There's no point saying, forgive me my debt. If I don't actually believe it, if I don't believe God is willing to do that, there are many Christians who hold on to their past sins like memorabilia and hang them around their their lives. And they continually refer back to them all the time rather than letting them go. Now, it's as much of a sin for us to hold on to our, our, our past sins that God has forgiven than anything else. The Bible teaches when God forgives sin, he does it properly. Not like us. God does it absolutely perfectly. He says as far as the east is from the west, I will cast your sin away. When God gets rid of sin, he forgets about it. The problem is we struggle to forget about it. And we struggle, we struggle to believe that God would forgive me of certain things. But the Bible teaches us in Psalm 86, verse 5, it says, For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. God's ready to forgive. Like that, he's like a he's like a person ready for a race. He's on the blocks, all you have to do is say, Please. And he's off. He's ready to forgive. He's not the type that will hold it against like, you. Hey, hey. You gotta wait. You've offended me now. I need time to call off. God doesn't need time to call off. God, the Bible says, is always ready to forgive. So we can come to God always. And in fact, the best time to come to God is when? When you've just sinned. If you've made a mistake, if you've fallen into something, if you've done something, you realise, what have I done? The best time to come before God is right then and there. Don't drag it around with you for days and weeks and months. Go to him at that point. The Bible says that he's ready to forgive you. And if you drag it around with you, what good are you doing? Lamenting yourself and feeling sorry about, about what you've done. It doesn't do anyone any good. In fact, it breaks the relationship that you have with the Lord. It makes you useless. So faith is the key to this prayer. I have to come believing that he, w- he wants to forgive me, that he's ready to do it. But there's another stipulation which makes this prayer interesting. It says, as we forgive our debtors. Have you noticed that? Now, that's the scary part of this verse, to be honest with you. That's the scary part. Because that little word as wasn't thrown in there to complete a rhyme. It's there to say that I'm asking for forgiveness as I'm forgiving other people. God, I want you to forgive me the same way I forgive everyone else. As I do it. Now, this, this interesting thing is that just as this verse assumes that you and I have a debt with God, it also assumes right, that other people will have a debt with you. Have you noticed that? Forgive us our debts as we forgive others their debts to me. So what does it assume? It assumes... That just as I have a debt with God each and every day that I need forgiveness for, other people are going to offend you, hurt you, do wrong by you. They're going to do things that you don't like each and every day of your life. People are going to have debts with you. But likewise, guess what? Because you and I are perfect, we are going to have debts with other people. As much as we might think that we are the perfect model citizen, that we are perfect in our, in our ways, we offend other people. We neglect other people. We say the wrong things at the wrong time. We don't, do the right, we don't do right by other people. So we are accumulating debt with them as well. But this is about me and God. This is about how I respond as we respond. With this in mind... This prayer is saying, Lord, forgive me as I forgive other people. How does that feel to you this morning? To come to God and say, God, I want you to to show me the same forgiveness that I'm showing other people who wronged me. Does that feel comfortable? Might be an uncomfortable fit. Because how many gripes and issues and how many things are we holding against other people around us? How many offences have we remembered and that we don't put behind us that people have done to us? Does it feel a little bit uncomfortable? Well, I think it should. I think it should. How is your forgiveness of others going? How much debt are you holding over other people at this moment? When you think of the people that you don't like, all right, let's start with them. How much debt are you holding over them? The truth of the matter is that we have no right to ask for something that we aren't willing to do ourselves. That would be what the Bible calls hypocritical. God watches how we deal with others. Be prepared that God will answer your prayers in the same proportion that you answer other people. The same way you meet it out to other people that you and I meet justice and mercy and love right? the same way we do it to other people be prepared for God to measure that same thing to you the amazing thing is that God as I said before is moulding us he's moulding us to be like his son and he uses trespasses he uses trials tribulations Sufferings, things that people do against you that that you might have done no wrong, all right, to mould you to be the person that he wants you to be. The way you respond to injustice, the way you respond to when people do you wrong, is a reflection of how close you are to being like Jesus. Let me ask you a question. When Jesus was insulted, did he insult back? when he was beaten was, did he beat back? Did he do to them the same way they did to him? The answer is clearly no. So how do we match up to that? And how can we come before God and say, God, forgive me of all my sins when I'm holding a debt for so many other people? Wouldn't that work on our conscience a bit? Look at verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Why do people struggle to forgive? Ever thought about that? I have, a little bit. There may be a few reasons. If you call yourself a Christian today, you may not be able to forgive, possibly, because you haven't truly appreciated how much God's forgiven you. And if you don't believe that God has forgiven you, then you're unlikely to forgive other people. If you feel that God's holding a debt over you and isn't forgiving you or hasn't given you the grace that you need, or if you don't appreciate what God's done, if you've never come to the point in your life where you've stood before that cross and you've understood that in every way you've offended a holy and just God and he had every right to throw you and I into hell, but he didn't. The Bible says that he loved this world so much that he gave his only begotten son to save us. And yet, have we come to the point in our lives where we've understood how much sin we had heaped upon our shoulders and what it cost him to actually take that sin away from us? Because if we haven't appreciated that forgiveness, then I'm unlikely to forgive other people. But if I've really experienced that forgiveness, if all, all of my sins have been washed away and there is nothing that holds me back, then I can more freely offer that love to other people. It could be you haven't appreciated God's love and God's forgiveness. What it could also mean is that you've probably put yourself on a higher level or above others and become their judge. But there's a problem with that because God doesn't see us like that. The Bible says that we should esteem others more highly than ourselves, always. doesn't matter who they are. The Bible says we have to esteem other people and put ourselves always in a lower position, Can I ask you a question? Do we do that with everyone? Or am I sitting on a scale somewhere? If you feel as if you're in a position to judge other people, that you are more spiritual than they, so therefore you have a right to judge them and be their judge, I'll guarantee you the very thing that you're judging, you're doing yourself. And you're heaping condemnation on yourself by doing it. The Bible calls this hypocrisy. So when we come to God and we say to God, "God, I need from you. I need you to provide my daily bread. I need you to provide everything that I that I have." The Bible says, "But I don't give it to a brother who's actually suffering and not and not uh, and hungry." What what does the Bible t- tell me that I am? And if I come to God asking for forgiveness but can't give that forgiveness to other people, the Bible says that. I'm a hypocrite and I shouldn't expect God's forgiveness. Some people may just have a hard time receiving forgiveness from the Lord because they will not forgive others of their sin. They hold on to that, that sin that other people have done towards them so strongly that they can't accept the love of God and the forgiveness of God. I've seen many times when someone is, has has. Forgiven, has been forgiven and they can't accept it because they don't believe the other person really has forgiven them. They can't believe it. They do that because they themselves don't forgive other people. So they can't imagine how someone could forgive them and they they do the same thing with God because they don't forgive other people and they're holding on to all these things. They can't accept other forgiveness for themselves. It's a vicious cycle that goes around and around and around. And it builds and builds over time, putting both parties in the bondage. But the scriptures teach that God will not extend forgiveness if you don't forgive. Don't expect it. Let me show you a passage where Jesus explains what forgiveness is about. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Luke 7, 36. Have a listen to this. One of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. He was asking Jesus to come and eat at his place. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, that's perfume, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head. And kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, he was referring to Jesus, would have known who or what manner of woman this is. She was probably a prostitute. That toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, answering, said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors, and one owed five hundred pence, and the other fifty. When he had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou was rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, and thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet, my head with oil that did not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven." For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith has saved thee, go in peace. When that woman came to Christ, washing his feet with her tears, her hair, and anointing his feet with perfume, she came believing that he could forgive her. The Pharisee didn't do that. The Pharisee thought within himself that he was good enough to accept Christ in his home without asking for forgiveness. And Jesus says the woman was the one who was justified. It was the woman who received forgiveness. There's it's a very important teaching there. He who has been forgiven little loves little. But he, was we forgiven much, loves much. You know, when you understand how much God has forgiven you and I of our sin, when you understand the debt that we could not pay, that was bigger than any mortgage you could ever imagine, and it was something that I had to pay for in eternity in hell to pay for, when you understand that debt that we owed, how can you not love God? How can we not love him with all of our hearts? And then if we love him that much, understanding how much he forgave us, how can we then not forgive other people? Because an indication of whether you're saved or not is having a forgiving spirit. Because God's heaped upon us riches. His grace, His forgiveness, His mercy. How can we not extend that to other people around us? We need to be the most forgiving, patient, loving people in this world. There should be none more than us. And we have no excuse because of what we've been given. Luke tells us in chapter 6, verse 36, Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet, with all it shall be measured unto you again. God has given us an abundance of riches, of mercy, grace, forgiveness, and love. We have that running over in our lives. If you have that running over in your life, then does it flow into other people's lives? Because if it doesn't, the chances are that you don't, haven't appreciated what's been done for you. Let me close. There's a passage in Scripture from John chapter 13 where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. He washes his disciples' feet. Just that, that lady washed his feet with her tears. The Bible says that he, he gathered his disciples together and he washed their feet. And when Peter saw that Jesus was coming to him to, and to wash his feet, Peter said, no way, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you've got nothing to do with me, and I've got nothing to do with you. So Peter says, all right, if you're going to wash my feet, Lord, wash all of me. And Jesus said, no, Peter, if you're clean fully, you only need to wash your feet. Because you had not seen in those days, they wore sandals, and they weren't bitumen roads. It was gravel and, uh, and dirt. So every time you'd walk around the streets, you'd get dirty feet. So they'd wash their feet when they walked into a home, when they came into a home. Okay? So Jesus says to Peter, Peter, don't worry. You, you're, if you're washed fully, you're only to wash your feet. So Peter allowed him to wash his feet. And Jesus, at the end of all that, after washing his disciples' feet, says to them, see what I've done to you? If, if I, your master, If I, your master, have washed your feet, then you need to do it to each other. Now, to wash your feet, someone's feet, was the lowest position you could actually take. Washing someone's feet. And Jesus says, if I've done it for you, do it to each other. Now, there's an interesting parallel here with salvation, you see. The Bible says that when a person comes to Christ heaped with sin, the Bible says they are full of sin and and only... Judgment will come upon them because of that. And they have no chance of getting rid of that sin themselves. So the Bible says that when they come to Christ and they accept the sacrifice that he's made for them, his blood washes all their sins away. And they are fully clean. And then they begin to walk. And they begin to walk in this world. And you know what happens in this world? Your feet get dirty. You know, And my feet get dirty because I've done things against you that I shouldn't have done. I've said things that I shouldn't have said. I've neglected where I should have been more, more active. And you've done it to each other. The Bible says we, we we gather dirt on our feet. But isn't it nice when we wash each other's feet? Isn't it nice when we're willing to bend down at a humble position and say, here, I understand what you've done against me. Let me wash your feet make you clean. That's what's required of us. What's required is that we would humble ourselves toward each other. First to the Lord, because understanding that he humbled himself, because before he came to this world, he was on a throne, worshipped by the angels in heaven, having been there for I don't know how long, being worshipped by, by the, a multitude of beings up there. And he decided to step off that throne and come to this world. To humble himself, he became our servant, and he became our servant so much, and so and so deeply that he allowed himself to be killed by us, so that we could live, so that we might be cleansed of all of our sin. And now, how can we not wash each other's feet? How can we not forgive one another when we wrong each other? Today, if you haven't received that cleansing which is available to you because of what Jesus did on that cross, then now is the day, today is the day to come to him and accept that forgiveness. And he will give you new life. He will give you, the Bible says, he will give you a new nature. He will make you fully clean. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life. It doesn't matter what thought you've had in your mind and what, and, and what burden you are carrying now. Let me guarantee you something. It can be forgiven. It can be forgiven. And God will forgive you of it. The question is, will you come to him and hand it across? It can be forgiven. And Christian, how, are you, how is your walk today? How are your feet, your own feet? Are you walking in the truth? The Bible says that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, he, he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. His blood continues to cleanse us. Come to him continually. Come to him. And make sure that you're forgiving other people as well. God bless you. Thank you. Father Don.